Good morning. My, my name is Mike Lewis, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace Family Church, and I'm excited to get to give the message today as we continue our series, Don't Miss It. We all walk through many different stages and phases as we go throughout life. Some of, some of them are really good, and others not so much. I know there's been times in my life where I've been so focused on ending a stage that I miss out on opportunities and the mission God has in my life. And so that's why we're focusing on this series of Don't Miss It. Because what we want to do is take time to think about each stage of life and how we can focus on God's mission uh, for us. So Pastor Corey opened the series originally talking about discipleship and then moved into parenting and that important stage of life. And so today we're going to move forward into the stage of life that comes with being 40 and up. And so it's been really interesting preparing this sermon because I'll be honest, I am not yet 40. Although if you ask any of the youth group teens, they will tell you I'm much older. In fact, they reminded me this morning to, to say that. Um, but as I, as I approach today's message, I really wanted to come from it, since I don't have that experience, I wanted to come from it from an angle of just timeless truths that we can gather from Scripture that really apply to any age. But we're going to run them through a lens of 40 and up. Life experiences that can happen with that phase of life. So my hope today is no matter what age or stage you're in, that you're encouraged and challenged to serve God in such a way that you impact others that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So with that said, let's get started. It doesn't matter whether you're a teenager, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s and up, there are so many areas in our life that just take our focus. I want you to think for a moment, what are the areas of your life that you focus on, that captivate you? Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe the upcoming hunting season is coming and that's what you're focused on. Or going golfing, or watching a movie, or a football game, or reading a book. That last one I really don't understand as a hobby. Um... Maybe hobbies aren't your focus, but it's your family. Getting a kid through high school, helping them get a driver's license, picking what they're going to do for a career. Maybe it's who they're going to marry. Or maybe your career is your focus right now. That next promotion, that raise, saving for retirement, going back to school, changing your career. Or maybe retirement's just out of reach. You're almost there. And that's what you're striving for. Or maybe it's that first grandkid helping your adult children with their kids. Volunteering somewhere, a part-time job, or your health. Maybe all of these have taken center stage for you. No matter what age you are, there's so many different things that can just take our focus. And... Not everything, most of what I just listed are good things. In fact, many of them are blessings that God gives us. Our jobs, our kids, our health, grandkids. However, we have to be careful that we do not get focused on the good things, that we lose our focus on what really matters. See, often when our, <clears throat> often when our focus is captivated by something, everything else disappears. 
It's funny, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of my youngest daughter. A couple weeks ago, was watching TV, and my wife from our kitchen, which is like 15 feet from where she was, yelled for her three times and no response. My daughter wasn't purposefully ignoring my wife. She was so zoned in on watching the TV show that she just did not hear Tania's voice at all. Ironically, this morning, as we were getting ready for church, the same thing happened again. So we might have to talk about focus on TV in our house. Um, But isn't that what we do in life? When we get captivated by something, everything else disappears into the background. And so I want to start off with this question, what is your focus? The first passage I want to dive in today is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Here the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians saying, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last forever, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Sorry, lost my place. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is telling the Corinthians that they need to stay focused on what matters, on the eternal, and run to it with every ounce that they have. They need to have an eternal perspective. In fact, we need to have an eternal perspective. As I thought about this passage, I thought about a conversation I recently had with Jesse Rutledge, one of our elders, awesome guy, and also someone who's probably super excited that I'm focused on him right now. Sorry, Jesse. So right now, Jesse is training and preparing for a marathon next month. And I'm a runner, but I know nothing about training for a marathon. It's absolutely too long for me. But what I do know is there's going to be a starting line and there's going to be a finishing line. And when Jesse starts that race, he's going to be running with everything he has for that finish line. But I want us to think for a moment. What happens if partway through the race, Jesse decides to just run in any direction that he feels like? Maybe running in circles. Is he going to finish the race? Probably not. If he does finish the race, he's not going to finish it well. Have you ever been in a moment in your life where you realize that you were running aimlessly, that you lost focus on what really matters, that you lost focus on what Jesus has planned for your life. We can often fall into this danger. But there's also another danger that I think we can fall into, and I know this has been one that I have wrestled with currently. The danger of losing focus and running aimlessly is one thing, but oftentimes we run hard, but we run to the wrong finish line. In verse 25, Paul says, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul is setting the example that we are supposed to run for the eternal perspective and not just what is here and now. However, what happens when we focus on something else? Let's again go back to that example of Jesse running the marathon. What if partway through the race, he decides to set the finish line a couple miles short of the actual finish line? But for him, that's where it's going to be. 
And he runs as hard as he can, and he's the first person to pass that finish line. Has he won the race? No. Why not? He hasn't, run, he hasn't won the race because there's still race left to run. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Whether it's that next job promotion, the raise, graduation, retirement, a checkpoint on a ho hobby, even family milestones like a baby or a grandkid or a wedding, oftentimes can be false finish lines. See, we miss the mark when we settle for the fi false finish line because there's still so much race left to run. Maybe you've had those in your life. Maybe you're in one of those moments now. Well, what's great is it doesn't matter where you are now in that race, you can still change course. You can run for what matters with all that you have. Running in such a way as to win the race. As I thought about this, I thought about my grandparents, who raised my dad to love Jesus, and they were great Christian followers, and I'm blessed because of that. But I do remember that there was a point in their life where they moved into a retirement home, and for them, that was the finish line. And it, I'll be honest, it saddens me as I look back because of the impact that they could have had on so many people. They decided that they were done. And for the next 12 to 15 years, they just stopped. And they worried about the day-to-day -day life, but they didn't worry about the impact that they were having on the people around them. They lost sight of the eternal perspective. And so how do we stay focused on it, what matters? How do we have that eternal mindset? And so for me, two passages came to mind that are just excellent guideposts for staying focused on what matters. The first passage is the greatest commandment found in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, which says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That last part just stands out to me. The rest of scriptures run through this lens of loving God and loving others. When we do that, and then we also focus on uh, Jesus' words to the disciples, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. Those two passages together give us that eternal perspective. They help us know where the actual finish line is, and they help keep us focused. And on top of that, not just knowing those two verses, but living it out. Developing our relationship with Jesus through prayer and studying the Bible. And meeting together at church like this, as well as in small groups and settings where we can help strengthen each other and stay focused on what really matters. For the next main point today, we're going to actually throw back to that first message that Pastor Corey gave of the series on discipleship. And I'm going to be honest, discipleship is something that is it's a topic that's really dear to my life, my heart. 
I can tell you that there's no way I would be where I am today if it wasn't for the men who invested their time and energy into discipling me. I can think of countless times where men in the stages ahead of me poured countless hours into conversation and discipleship, whether it was sitting at their kitchen table, standing in the parking lot after a church service for hours, or sitting in a coffee shop or inviting me alongside to serve with them. Each of these men dedicated time, not just because they felt like it was something to do, but they did it purposefully. They wanted to help disciple me to develop my relationship with Jesus, as well as had the impact of letting me see how God has designed me to serve him. I owe each of these men more than I could ever repay them. And I can guarantee I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. But that's not why they did it. They did it because they were focused on what matters. They knew what the real finish line is. And they did it to follow Jesus' command. Matthew 28, 16-20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only did these men show me authentic love and care for me, but they also showed me how you follow Jesus' commands and how you disciple somebody else. Because that's why discipleship matters. It helps the next generation of Christians know how to love Jesus and have that relationship. As I share different elements about discipleship, I want to be upfront that a lot of these concepts are not my own, that I'm taking from resources, um, especially two books, Disciple It Making Is by Dave Early and Rod Dempsey, and Discipleship by Jim, Discipleship by Jim Putman and Bobby Harrington. And the reason I specify this, too, is although I'm gathering the ideas from them, these are excellent books on discipleship. And so if you want to get started in it, it's a great place to start. So how do we disciple others well? The first step, honestly, is probably the most difficult step when it comes to discipleship. And Paul explains it in Corinthians. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want to read that one more time. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The first step of discipleship starts with ourselves. We have to start with our relationship with Jesus. We need to make sure that we are following Jesus in such a way that our attitudes and actions reflect him because those following us are watching. I thought about, uh, I'm a country fan myself. I love country music. Um, ironically, I also love rap music. It's kind of an interesting combination. But a song stood out to me. Roddy Atkins sings a song called Watching You. 
And in this song, there's a little boy who has a Happy Meal, and his dad jams the brakes on, and the little boy yells a four-letter word. And when the dad turns around and says, where did you learn that? He says to his dad, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Later in the song, the dad catches, catches the kid praying in such an authentic way that it seems like the kid and Jesus are best friends. And the dad asks, where did you learn that? And the boy says, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. When we disciple others, they are watching each and every step we take, both the good and the bad. And oftentimes they want to be like the person discipling them. And so as the one doing the discipling, we need to make sure that our actions are accurately reflecting Jesus. Because our hope is that as we mentor these individuals, they become more like Jesus. They aren't seeing us, but they're seeing Christ through us. I want to clarify something, though. You can't use your own spiritual place in life as an excuse not to disciple somebody. If you feel like you're not where you should be, that should not stop you from seeking to disciple somebody. Instead, discipleship motivates you to continue to seek Jesus more and more. We can't just go, well, I'm not there, so I'm done. Which is easy to do sometimes. Sometimes it might be overwhelming to think about discipleship, especially when it comes to finding someone to disciple. So how do we find people to disciple? I'm going to use this time to unapologetically make a plug for small groups and serving in the church. It's kind of like the idea of you go where the fish are. Well, that's where people are that would want to be discipled. Small groups are an excellent place to find somebody who is already seeking Jesus and wants to grow more. And a lot of times, these people will jump for the opportunity to have somebody else speak into their lives. It's also a great way, we just talked about modeling, it's a great way of modeling the Christian lifestyle by joining a small group. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This passage isn't necessarily talking or commanding small groups. But joining a small group, joining a life group, is a great way to live out this passage. Not only do you get to be a part of the body of Christ, but you get to set the example and meet other people. The other way is to serve. We're all gifted in many different ways. And I'll tell you right now, our church has a ton of openings for serving. And if you go to Pastor Andrew and you say, I like this and I'm gifted at this and this would be an area I would love to serve, he can plug you in somewhere. I guarantee it. And again, a great place to meet somebody to help guide and mentor. Because if they're there serving, they're already seeking Jesus to some level. 
they want to know what it's like. And you have the opportunity to help their relationship with Jesus. The idea of discipling and guiding another person can be daunting. However, often we make it way more complicated than we have to. And we use that as an excuse often. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. And in one of the books that I mentioned earlier, the author, Dave Early, explains a story where he's talking to his wife. And I'm going to actually read it from the book because it's so good. And I love, I love how he makes it so simple. Sometime back, my wife, Kathy, and Kathy asked, what do you think is the best discipleship curriculum on the market? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the book of Acts I added in. I said, with a special emphasis on the words written in red ink, which are Jesus' words. Is that it, she said, rather unimpressed? Why? Because, I said, if I can get a person living the gospel and applying the commands of of Jesus like the disciples applied them in Acts, I believe I will have made a disciple. And I believe that type of disciple will change the world. Start small. Start simple. We, we make it way more complicated than we have to. And the Gospels are a great starting point because no matter where we are on our walk, pointing back to the Gospel will help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Another area to consider with discipleship is time. Often we use this as an excuse to not do so. I don't have enough time. I'm going to tell you this. That's just an excuse that we use for way too many things. And discipleship doesn't have to be a huge time commitment. Yes, it can be an every week thing, which I've seen, or an every other week thing, or once a month. Really, it's whatever you feel God is leading you to do because any amount of time that you take to speak into somebody else's life to help lead them to Jesus is going to be worth that time and worth that investment. I want you to consider time a lot less than intentionality because intentionality is what's going to make the impact. I also want to clarify Discipling, we've been kind of talking, and it sounds like discipling is outside of your family, and it's not just outside of your family. In fact, recently, one of the things that I feel like God's been putting on my heart is to not just parent my kids, but to disciple my kids. And this is my own personal opinion, but we can't use that actually as an excuse either. Well, I'm discipling my kids. Because there are so many other people out there that don't have somebody guiding them. And so my challenge is that is no matter whether you have 20 kids or zero kids, that you pick somebody outside of your family that you're pouring into. Because as Pastor Corey said in the first week, our kids here at church and our teens need at least five people outside of their parents pouring into their lives. And although that's kids and teens, I think it extends to everybody. I'm in my 30s, and I know that the people pouring into my life are not just my parents still and family, but people outside, and they've had a huge impact. As I wrap up this section today, I'm going to share a quote from a book that I know 
for me, just speaks so much into discipleship. And I'll give you a warning. It's a very heavy quote. And I debated today whether or not I was going to share it, but I think it's words, although they are bold and they are blunt, they are true. When someone tells me they are spiritually mature, I ask them who they are discipling. If they tell me no one, then I'm going to question whether they are spiritually mature. Spiritually mature people make disciples. This is heavy, but it's so true. Because if we're spiritually mature, we're following what Jesus has told us to do. We have that eternal perspective, and we know where the finish line is. And Jesus directly says, go and make disciples. And so we cannot call ourselves spiritually mature if we're not following what Jesus says. Now, I will say, this does not mean if you are discipling somebody, just because you're discipling somebody does not make you spiritually mature. All right? It helps move you in that direction But we can't say, well, I'm discipling someone, so I'm there. But at the same time, we we really cannot say, I'm spiritually mature and not be pouring into somebody else. As we get ready to wrap up, I want us to look ahead. I don't want us just to leave today hearing a message and not taking action towards letting it impact our lives so that we can impact the world around us. So I want to talk about three different action steps. And the first one is, I want you to take time this week to think about any of the false finish lines in your life. Because I know we all have them. I had to catch myself this morning focusing on a false finish line of graduation in December. Think about what are they. Think about how you're going to get your eternal perspective back. And then don't just stop there, but share it with someone close to you, a friend, a family member, a pastor, somebody. The second challenge is to think about discipleship. Who are you discipling? If you're not discipling anybody, who could you disciple? And if you're struggling figuring out who you could pour into, is there an area of the church that you should become a part of? so that you can meet somebody, build that relationship, and then pursue discipling them. And then finally, maybe you're someone sitting out there and and you're younger and you feel like, okay, I don't know who to disciple, but I also don't have anybody discipling me. Think about who could disciple you. Because no matter where we are in life, there's always somebody ahead of us. There's always somebody that can pour into you. The only time I would take a challenge to that is if you're 118, because the world's oldest person right now is 118. So he may not have somebody ahead of him. Okay? There's always somebody ahead. Always somebody that can pour into your life. So let's leave today ready to let God speak into our lives and help us grow as we share his light with our, everybody around us. Let me pray as we wrap up. Dear Lord, I, just, I thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. I ask that you just let these words impact each of us 
so that we can go out and serve you with everything that we have. Let us not lose focus on these false finish lines that are so easy to focus on. And let us see how we can help other people grow in their relationship with you and take action towards that, Lord. Thank you for all you do in our lives, and please help us keep focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.